When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Roker Rapport podcast where you're greeted not by the dulcet, blithian tones of one Connor Bromley but instead by the, um, um, not blithian but still dulcet tones of me, Alex McCain. As of last Sunday, Sunderland had the opportunity to cash in on their games in hand and potentially accumulate six points at home to Blackpool and Accrington Stanley but two draws later, we have two points and our fourth place in the league going nowhere fast. So joining me today to chat about these frustrating encounters and what went down is Johnny Goldsmith, Josh Hello. Wilkinson and the secretary of the Senior Supporters Association, Malcolm Bramley. So we'll start with you, Malcolm. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks, Alex. Good stuff. Um, uh, although I do hear that um, while you were at the game the other day, you had quite an unfortunate incident with your glasses. A uh, slight problem. Uh, a couple of days before the match, uh, I'm sat at home, uh, take my glasses off. A few minutes later, I sit down and there's a big crunch and my glasses virtually fall apart. So uh, I'm stood at the back of the East Stand on Friday night uh, with a, a one arm of a glasses sellotaped on. Uh, the other's bent and it was an absolute nightmare for 90 minutes. Talk about the match. I had a nightmare as well. So were you holding your glasses like they do with like, those pantomimes where they've got them like on a stick and you have to like, hold it up to your face pretty it, much? It was virtually that, that. makes any sense. I mean, some of your younger listeners might not remember, but I was like Jack Duckworth at Coronation Street who used okay. to wear glasses with great big plasters on either right. side to keep the arms together. So uh, anyway, about an hour before we... we we came on, I heard that uh, my new glasses were ready. So uh, I'm like a kid at Christmas this afternoon. Tremendous. So how are you doing, Johnny? I can't see you behind the monitor there. but uh, Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, I managed to get to the game on Friday. And yeah. it's, it's like messed up my clock because I'm like, oh, today's Sunday. Oh, I can't remember the last time I had a Friday night game. I think it was against Burnley back in like 2006 or something. Yeah, and what about you, Josh? How are you? Very well, mate. Very well. Third podcast, part of the furniture now, I feel. Good to, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you sat, you sat in what, what was once my seat. Yes. I'm looking at you through the monitors, just like I like it. Just like it's Connor like before me, but yeah. So, we'll, uh, I'll just quickly summarise the game, and then we'll get into dissecting them both chronologically. Sunderland squandered the first of their two opportunities to catch Barnsley when they drew one all with Blackpool, first of all. The visitors taking the lead through what was admittedly a very tidy finish from one Armand Nanjulay, if that's hopefully how you say his name. But the lads toiled away in the second half and eventually found an equaliser from a corner, which we can apparently score now, taken by Grant Ledbetter and headed home Route 1 by Jack Baldwin. But sadly, the same Jack Baldwin who got us back into the game against Blackpool was the villain of the piece when we played Stanley, Baldwin giving away a penalty which... Billy Key then converted and was generally quite poor as the game progressed with the visitors, then finding a second in the second half on the break through Paul Smith. However, the introduction of one Chris Maguire from the bench turned the tide almost instantly for Sunderland and he set up both the goals to level the scoreline with the game ending 2-2. So disaster averted, but the situation still far from ideal. So, the Stanley game's fresh in our minds, but for the sake of doing this, as I say, chronologically, let's start, um, uh, start analysing the Blackpool game. So... On the last pod, 
we cried out for Ross to drop power for row nine, and he did just that, yep. helped by the fact that obviously power was having another child, but mm-hmm. you know, hey-ho, he was dropped regardless. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, we'll start with you. How effective do you think that ended up being? I mean, clearly not very effective. No. <laughs> I remember us saying that, because Connor asked at the end, it was like, what... If you were Jack Ross, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, no, it was what do you think Jack Ross is going to do? Yeah. What is he going to change? And I remember at the time I was thinking, well, very little. Because mm-hmm. um, that was the game where Nine was right back, wasn't he? So he wasn't, he didn't directly replace Power, he was right back, right? Yeah. And yeah, was, no, I think he did, right yeah, he did play right back, yeah, yeah. Well. yeah. Um, so obviously not a, not a direct not a direct replacement. No. Um, I mean, I, bit, I had a bit of a nightmare with the SAFC stream, if I'm honest. Right. So I caught about 60 minutes of it. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just there seemed to be a flatness, which I'm sure we'll get on to Stanley in a bit later. But I think the most frustrating thing about Blackpool was the the amount of long balls that that just seemed to mm-hmm. that just seemed to be our, absolutely our tactic that game. Um, and it kind of seemed to be the tactic of Stanley until until Maguire came on. Yeah, and then we started playing those those nice little triangles that, mm-hmm. that we played at the start of the season. Yeah, I think big um, physical teams can yeah. do that to us. You yeah, know, you yeah, can yeah. see an awful lot of long balls coming through, and mm. if, if as long as you've got sort of teams like Stanley who mm-hmm. can just sort of frustrate and can capitalise on the crowd turning against us, mm-hmm. then they're always going to find a way into the game or yeah. find a way to extend whatever they've got already. Exactly, and I think with power, I think if you're going to bring him off, you need to bring on McGeoch, mm-hmm. who's very different. Yeah, because what we're crying out for is someone who will come to the centre-backs because the reason they're hitting it long is because they've got no one to pass to mm-hmm. and they're not very good on the ball so they just think well just get rid yeah. um, so if we have McGeoch who can kind of come come short recycle it that's what we're crying out for and I'm not really sure why he's not getting his chance at the moment yeah I think it's been pointed out by quite a few people down but there's mm. there's a definite correlation between the games McGeoch has featured in for us this season and the number of games we've won mm. you know he's a very a very intelligent player, I think, in the middle of the park. He's a very tidy passer. Mm-hmm. He's very good at his general decision-making. I think where some players in League One would just play a long ball to get rid, McGeoch would maybe take a touch, find a pass, manoeuvre past his man and put it out wide. Yeah. I mean, what what do you think, Malcolm? What, what have you made of McGeoch this season? Do you think that he could potentially make a difference in this side? I think he's been very steady. Yeah. He, he's a, he passes the ball well. I think he's quite an intelligent player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have to wonder why he hasn't been played. But we don't know what goes on in the training field, you know, four or five days a mm-hmm. week. Um, people have said that uh, as Jack Ross got his favourites, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. And I think there must be a very clear reason why he hasn't been picked and, and hasn't been played on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. From, the, from the outside, from a spectator's point of view, from what I've seen of him, I, I would play him every game. But I, th- I think we have to remember, we, d- we don't know what's going on on the training field. Yeah, there's only so much we as fans can know compared mm-hmm. to what Ross will know about his team and about what's going on either on or off the pitch I think there's a there's a definite sort of area that we need to consider but as for the game itself what do you think went right and went wrong against Blackpool? Well I think again as, uh, as we've just been saying uh, long balls uh, mm-hmm. long balls up to uh, forwards who are never going to win a header in the air Yeah. so the ball keeps coming mm-hmm. back keeps coming back again uh, I would like to see more, more uh, play f- from the back yeah but it's whether we're good enough to play from the back. Mm-hmm. That's that's the other issue. Yeah, I think I think Baldwin often fancies himself as being a being a, a very sort of like he thinks he's David Luiz. Sometimes. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He think he thinks he's he's the ball playing defender, which yeah. which he really isn't. I think if he was at times when he when he's on the ball, sort of taken out of defence, I think momentarily he thinks he's a player that isn't in League One. Right. I think that's him. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I, I think so. Yeah. I think there's a lot of sort of. Well, that penalty must have brought him down. Yeah, I got to. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah, but I think if if you you take the long balls, but then even if if you avoid the long balls, the 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 passing out from the back mm-hmm. this season has been poor to say the yeah. least. Uh, and it's such a simple game, football. Mm-hmm. You know, brief cluffy story. I'm in the dressing room when I'm secretary at Derby. Uh, about ten minutes before a game started, I had to take a message into the dressing room, right. and Cluffy's there giving his team talk 10 minutes before the, t- the players are going out. Uh, and none of the folders that you see nowadays, that uh, all the folders with all the numbers and the teams on and the, uh, and the modern technology. No, no, no. It was all straightforward. He sat on the bench uh, next to one of the players. And he says, young man, you're looking very smart today. Ah, thank you, boss. Uh, what colour shirt are you wearing? He said, I'm wearing a white shirt, boss. And uh, what's the young man next to you? What strip, colour strips he got on? Well, he's got a white shirt as well. And he said, listen, you lot, 
He said, I know you're all thick as shit, but <laughs> basically, if you go out there, you've got a white shirt on, all you've got to do and all you've got to remember is pass to somebody that's got the same colour shirt as you've got on and you might actually manage to win the game. Now get yourselves out. And that was his team talk. It's a simple game. Well, that, that's all That's all you'd, you'd expect from Brian Clough, isn't it? You know, so, sometimes the, the most simple strategies are the most effective. That's right. And I think that does tie into a lot of what we're seeing. I think there's a lot of play from the back that's either just... I think there's, there's really, I think there's two extremes. I think mm. sometimes we see long balls that are just sort of hit aimlessly upfield in the hopes that five foot nine Will Griggs going to shake off two massive League One defenders, get the ball and score from nowhere. And then equally, I think there's a lot of playing out from the back with people like Baldwin, who, you know, as, as solid as I think he is or has been overall this season, I think is just a bit too ambitious with what he can do with it. But I think there is a medium there. And I, I do think that there is the quality in this team to not have to hoof long balls, but equally to not go too far. I mean, we've not heard from you yet, Johnny. What mm. do you think about our, I mean, our sort of, I mean, we haven't really found an identity yet this season, but what, what do you make of the passing game we've played so far this season? It's weird because we've been a team in the first, in the early start of the season where we're winning like 3-0, 4-1. We're beating teams fairly easily, and it seems like, oh, it's going to be an easy, good season for us. And then I don't know what changed, really. Uh, things just started to not go as well. I mean, we haven't lost many games, but we're just drawing all these games. Yeah, we're, we're drawing the league. And, like, there isn't much that's changed in terms of the team and the players I don't really know what's uh, what's the problem is obviously there's a few new players in now but you know this was going on long before January yeah um so it's hard to put my like put a finger on what it is that's caught mm-hmm. what that's been a problem this season do you think um, our dip in form is possibly correlated with the style of passing that sort of changed from the start of the season there were a lot of games at the start against teams like Gillingham uh, Rochdale and Scunthorpe, I believe, were probably the biggest mm-hmm. cases of this. Where we played, you know, quite a quite an aggressive sort of, you know, direct mm-hmm. on the floor passing yeah. game, and yeah. we would have half an hour spelled where we just absolutely rent teams asunder. Yeah, you know, would absolutely devastate them with the quality we have. But that, that doesn't seem to be something that we do anymore in games. Well, we saw it for a bit against Accrington. Yeah, in those twenty thirty minutes, mm-hmm. where we, we kind of blew them away. Really. Yeah. Because, like I said earlier, it was those little triangles mm-hmm. where we have Maguire and McGeady getting very close together, but they're both technically good mm-hmm. enough yeah, and that to axes. where they can do that. And then we saw the difference in when he playing play to Grig on the floor. Mm-hmm. His his two when he's one little flick when he took a pass. Oh, it was under yeah. not to score. Um, when he let it go through his legs and went through the other fellow's legs, mm-hmm. should have passed it to McGeady in that in that sense. But I can see why yeah. you know, he saw his name up in lights. So that works, mm-hmm. and it did at the start of the season, and it clearly still does. So I'm not sure why we're going away from it. And my worry is, I think I've mentioned a couple of times that Wyke should be playing with someone and Wyke needs a call. Mm-hmm. I'm running out of patience with him, if <laughs> yeah. I'm honest. Um, I've, I think we play with one. We play with one and, and, and we play the system we did for, for those for the last 30, 40 minutes, whatever it was at, at Accrington. Because mm-hmm. um, Wyke, oh, God, I wanted to work He's for him. Really tried. Really he tries. Him, yeah. He really tries, but no qualms with that. No. But he should have scored... When that 9 got that cross in, I mean, he put it on a play for him. Yeah. If he wins a header, which is less often than it should be, it doesn't mm-hmm. go to anyone. Yeah, there's, there's something. Side. There's something very Daryl Murphy happening at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think he needs some time out the side. Mm-hmm. He's got a difficult choice there, hasn't he? Really. Yeah. There's uh, either you you look at his goal scoring record. And Ross obviously rates him, otherwise mm-hmm. he wouldn't have signed him. Uh, but then you think the number of chances he's missed, uh, maybe he's not fully fit. Take him out, uh, and his confidence looks shot. Mm-hmm. But then you it's take him out of the side, and is that going to do an awful lot for his confidence? So, uh, real dilemma for the manager there. Yeah, I, I, think, I think, uh, think. Sorry, yeah, go sorry, on. One, one quick thing I will say an example of that, I would say, is Chris Maguire. Like, he was dropped out the side for a little while because he has been fairly poor. And he's come back into the side and changed the game. And maybe it's just, he thought, oh, hang on a second, I'm not guaranteed a place in this team. I've got to work for my place. And Max Power had a fairly good game against Hackington when he came on, I think. Uh, another player who maybe, you know, he's not guaranteed his position as he thinks he might be. So then he has to work hard for his, to stay in the team. Um, so maybe this is a wake-up call for someone like Maguire to like think, actually, I've got to be consistent with my performances. Yeah, I think this um, might as well be a case of us not, I mean, I mean, we'll say there that, you know, with the case of Wyke, as, as you point out, Malcolm, how do you approach that for the sake of consolidating what confidence he's got? Do you take him out the side to maybe get him out the spotlight? Is, is, is that best for him? 
or is it best to keep them in? I think there's pros and cons to both that. I mean, you would only really know the best approach if you knew the lad personally, which as as fans just sat here in a studio, we don't. Yeah. And that's when I think you have to put your faith in Ross to, to know his players as individuals and potentially make the right decision. And speaking of individuals, another, another um, uh, sort of key talking point here was... Uh, for me, Duncan Watmore, he seemed to divide a lot of opinion. I've heard, you know, one half of the social media populace saying that he seemed to think he was one of, if not almost, threatening players on the night against Blackpool, mm-hmm. while the other half just saw him as wasteful in possession and generally quite frustrating. So, Well, I watched yeah. uh, for 10 minutes of the game against Blackpool, mm-hmm. I watched Watmore. Right. Rather than following the ball. Mm-hmm. And whatever you think of Watmore and some call him a head-down merchant and all the rest of it, I tell you what, he made half a dozen tremendous runs mm-hmm. in that ten minutes that I was watching him and nobody picked him up. And he and there was a level of frustration from him there. Um, and he's a, he is another very, very intelligent player. Mm-hmm. And... Again, it's whether the manager sticks with him, plays him on a regular basis. I think uh, it's clear that uh, he, he can't play two matches in a week. No, no. Given given his um, uh, recent his recent recovery from injury, I think that's not a thing he yeah. would do. But I do th- I do think his pace on on uh, out wide. I think his pace will worry worry defenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think again, it's how you use him. I think you need to. He's not the type of guy who's going to take on, you know, a lot of defenders. I don't yeah. think. No. I think a lot of times he gets caught under his own feet. Yeah. Panics a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he needs to be used to stretch games. Um, so you need to knock it over. If you can put him up against a short fullback, which we were doing um, against Stanley when McGeady was having a lot of luck on their right hand side, because their their right back was quite short, so it was easy just to knock it over him. And then McGeady was getting in. I think if you have what more in that kind of situation, I think it works. But I mean, it was it was essentially a front two, wasn't it? And Watmore is not a striker. No, no. I all. think I, 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 while I do I do rate Watmore as an option in this division, I think his finishing is is I think we're probably all in agreement that it's quite poor. I mean, at the same time though, this is a lad who has done it in the Premier League to an extent. Exactly. If you if you think the last goal he'd scored before he got Norwich? it was against Norwich when we beat them three 0 I yeah. mean, bear That's in mind, I, I'm I'm oh. pretty sure that if you gave me a pair of footy boots and a run out. I could beat Sebastian Basson, but <laughs> that being said, he has done it at, a, at quite a high level, and he, he's he's a perfectly capable player. He was player. half decent that season. He was, he was. Yeah. If if you were to give Watmore 70, 80, possibly a full ninety minutes just to run at the team all game, you know, I think eventually he's, he's going to create something. He is. I I don't think teams in this division can put up with someone who's got that much pace and that much tenacity for that amount of time. His finishing yeah. isn't great, but. If you can depend on him to make the right decisions, yeah. then I think we'd reap the rewards if we just kept him there. Equally, I think he might work as an impact sub. Yeah, but I think I, I, either way, I think. But yeah, I think well, the best from the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine so. I think yeah. if you were to bring on, I remember we played. I think it was a few seasons ago. We played Tottenham. I mean, obviously it's a few because we're playing Tottenham. You know, it wasn't anything recently. Yeah. Uh, but um, I think we lost one nil that day while we had Advocate, and they brought on two players from the bench. Um, it, at the same time, on about the 70-minute mark, and I think it was Andros Townsend and another Pacey player, and they just ran at us for the remainder of that game, and we looked shot, mm. because you just suddenly you introduced that much pace at mm-hmm. once, and both your flanks were just like overwhelmed. Mm. I think if we could do that with, say, Watmore and Gooch, I think that could be a great idea going forward. Mm-hmm. It's also a favourite tactic of mine on footy manager. But, <laughs> you know, like, so that's why you yeah, want to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to pretend that I'm anywhere near as good as no. the likes of Jack Ross. But it, it, it's it's worked for me on on a on a footballing simulator. So, yeah, sure, whatever. You never know. I think with the, whether you start with what more or not, the one thing I would like to see is a settled side. Mm-hmm. Jack Ross. Barring injuries, of course, Jack Ross deciding on his best side, and whether one or two players don't perform on the day or whatever, have a, have a side that's playing together for half a dozen games. Yeah, I think uh, Luton, for example, uh, I don't know in the last few matches, but before Christmas they played eight matches and they were completely unchanged. And right. Any team that's going to get promotion or playoffs or whatever, one thing they do, which is obvious, they win football matches rather than mm-hmm. draw them. But the other thing is, the majority of them have a settled side. Uh, players know each other's game, and I know that we've got a big squad, but uh, and all this business about well, you've got to keep players happy. I, I don't, I don't buy that. No. Pick, pick your best eleven and uh, keep mm-hmm. keep with them, and I and, and we'll start winning games. We've got we've got good enough players. Mm. At the end of the day, it's it's a meritocracy. You know that, that that's how you do professional football. You don't mm-hmm. just you don't just rotate to keep everyone as you say happy. Mm-hmm. You play your best side because you're in this competition to win it. That's how. 
that's how the adult world of professional football works. And as you see with Luton, you know, they're a consistent side and they've been consistently good all season and they're at the point now where they could run away with the title. So I think that's case in point, Malcolm. But speaking of players who struggle to finish, Will Griggs miss in the one-on-one? Big, Mm. big yikes. Should we be concerned that he hasn't been finding the net yet? No. No? No. Nope. Is that a unanimous no? No. No, No, I agree. He's getting in the right... He's getting in the right places. I think he was unlucky against Accrington. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first one when when James pulled it back. That's a hard, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, because you know you, you you're trying to you're trying to put it one way when it's coming to you another way. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it's tricky to do. Yeah, there was a few difficult. there was a few players on the line already, so he didn't have a lot of way, Matt. He's still coming back from an injury. Mm-hmm. He's still, you know, that was what he's what first full game. Yeah, I believe so. Just I think I think he came. I think on, that might have been maybe that. second. Mm. Not sure on that one. He's not. He's not had many. No, he hasn't had a lot of football. No. Um, I think it was certainly his first. His first home game. Mm-hmm. So you're getting used to playing at the stadium light as well. But Accrington, I thought it was very good. I yeah. Do. Yeah, I do. Thought it was mm-hmm. very good. I think. I thought it was very exciting. I think, like I said earlier, it's just how you how you use them mm-hmm. is is so important. I think he, he likes it in behind in the channels. He likes it to his feet. Yeah. Yeah, he, he likes a ground war. I think Will Greg. I think if you, I think we saw, as yeah. you say, I think you said earlier, I think you did say earlier, when we play football on the ground yeah. against teams like that against Stanley when we brought Maguire on, you know, Greg was thriving. He yeah. looked, he looked for me very potent. That mm-hmm. that one chance when he just like flicked it around the player, mm-hmm. and he had two shots blocked. I mean, mm-hmm. that was, and no one's talking about his assistant for Fonny goal. As no, well. no, exactly, exactly. Great, he, he made, he made a goal, and Look, then that started the, yeah. the comeback. Exactly. I think the good thing is he's getting into positions to score. Uh, it would be it would be worrying if he wasn't getting into the sort of positions where he's got a half a chance. Mm-hmm. And like any other striker, I think he needs a goal. Mm-hmm. Once you get that goal, your confidence comes. Yeah. And uh, I think we've got a good player there. Definitely, I think um, again similar similar to Wake. I think you know he always just needs a goal, yeah. and we'll see a different player. Um, once Greg gets that first goal, you know he'll found his feet almost, and it'll, it'll be fine. You'll, you'll get the goals. Well, I do hope so. So let's move. We've sort of uh, segued into the Stanley game there, so we'll go. We'll go fully into sort of that one now. And the main talking point, the the only real one for me, is the fact that Sunderland, as we've said before and after Maguire's introduction, were two completely different sides. Mm-hmm. The first uh, had no ideas. They were pumping long balls. They were terrified of the of the home crowd that was getting more and more on the backs with every misplaced pass. The second side was one that was just unrelenting going forward they were playing great football on the ground McGeady won everything from the players in the middle and fed it through to whoever was you know racing up with him they were very very unlucky for me not to get a third goal Mm -hmm. and I think that side you know once they got it right they were playing like a good team sadly it was too little too late but it all hinged I think for me and as you'd all probably agree on Maguire's introduction so Mm -hmm. what is it about Maguire that adds something to a team what is it about him is it his character is it his technique what is it well, first of all, aggression. Yeah. Me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, 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 you might think he's always on the edge, always having a risk of a yellow. He's always arguing with the referee. But he's, he's, he's got that bit of aggression that we don't see in many of the other players. No. And uh, I thought, like you just said, he made, he made all the difference when he came mm-hmm. on. And uh, we, we could easily have won the game. If it lasted yeah. another five minutes, mm-hmm. I think we'd have won it. But again, like uh, McGeoch you again wonder what's going on in the training field yeah. as to why he hasn't been played regularly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just hope we see a bit more of him in the next two or three matches. I think he needs to start on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. I agree mm. completely. Yeah. I think that's what you need when you're possibly low on confidence. I, th- I think Chris Maguire isn't the type of character who's going to shy away from a understandably you know, quite frustrated crowd. Mm-hmm. I think I think he's just there. His like character can just bring out, I think, the the best in a team that requires aggression. I think he's he's just quite there. He just always wants the ball as well. Yeah. Like, you know, his willingness. I mean, as soon as he came on, one of the first things he did, whack it in the box. Mm-hmm. And then and then we got the honeymoon goal from yeah. it. It was almost straight away. Mm-hmm. And then that just just builds the crowd. And then and then we had the next, yeah. the next 10 minutes. We, we, that was like watching us at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. We were great. I and mean, it was a great match yeah. from a neutral point of view. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was probably a great watch. Yeah. Um, tough, tough as a sort of very hot probably very for tough a as a fan. fan. Yeah, probably gutted. I mean, we all have different opinions about players, but uh, I think there'll be a big frustration on Tuesday night when the teams are announced if that mm-hmm. lad's not in the starting. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! I, I, I'd be quite annoyed if he wasn't in the team. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Maguire. I was trying to find a way to articulate it before, but I just think he's all heart. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's that's and that's exactly what you need to galvanise. You need someone who's just going to run run at the opposition. You know, Harry, Harry, other players. You know, just get just you know just to just someone who can run past you and just shout when you're ready to keep you going. You know, when you when you're going to pick the ball up for a throw, and just someone who can just 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 marshal you as a team. Not someone yeah. who's necessarily like a captain figure, yeah. but just someone who's just loud and aggressive and just wants the team to push forward and just just be as like aggressive to the opposition as possible. He's also very good at holding the ball up as well, yeah. which I don't think he gets a lot of credit for. No, he doesn't. He's very strong and he's very good at kind of, when it's in the air, he can hold off his man, mm-hmm. take a touch because he's technically good enough Yeah, and then turn and then put it out wide or, or mm-hmm. carry on going and I don't think we have that enough because a lot of the times when it's being chucked forward as you mentioned earlier, it's just coming straight back because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's just flying off our players. Yeah. But he keeps it he does. So I think that was that was a big factor in it mm-hmm. as well. Like if we were struggling, if Akron didn't come back, yeah, we can kind of get it out and, and Maguire will hold it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very there. it's a very sort of Chris Maguire esque move. I think if I was to picture him playing football, I'd imagine him trapping a ball, spinning on it, spinning on his on well, his heel. Peterborough. Yeah, shoving another player, bringing yeah. his, his, his wide men into the game, putting a pass through, taking a shot from outside the box. Yeah. That's just what I imagine Chris Maguire yeah. doing. And I think you know when you. When you when you're playing quite sort of ponderous football that almost looks like it's good, but you know as soon as something is about to go right, you just hit a long ball. I think that's who you need yeah. in that scenario. And speaking of players' characters, uh, I think we should. It would probably be quite remiss if we didn't mention how uh, how poor uh, Jack Baldwin and Jimmy Dunn were against Stanley. Mm-hmm. I think both of them, it's fair to say, had a shocker and looked more and more at sea the more the crowd began to turn. I think they both just looked quite nervous and. Paul Smith really just had a field day against them. Yeah. What What was the issue there? Do we think? What, what, what do you think we could do with that defence? You know, could we maybe use a more experienced presence at the back, or do you think it's just a case of them two needing to gel? Is it maybe the fact that they're both young lads? What, what do you think? Maybe it is giving them time to gel, uh, give them a bit of patience, and things can work out. But when you've got the crowd who are on your back, the minute you make a mistake, it's hard for them to. Mm-hmm cooperate and work together. I mean, I, I prefer Flanagan, personally. Yeah. Um, uh, Flanagan and Baldwin, I think, work well together. Um, obviously, Jimmy Dunn being the lone player, I guess, they want to try and give him as much game time as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to have to find a way to make it work around him, I guess. Uh, I think you either pick either Flanagan or Baldwin, not the both of them, perhaps. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to, you might have to drop Baldwin at the game on Tuesday and play Flanagan instead. Yeah. Baldwin and Dunn are both. I mean, well, all Baldwin, Flanagan, and Dunn are all big lads. But mm. the difference between Dunn and the other two is that Dunn is just a lot more bulky. You know, he's got that sort of physical strength. Mm. That's the kind of strength that got us the equaliser against Oxford. So I think for I that think, attribute, I think, I think Baldwin was the worst of the two. If I have to pick one. Oh, absolutely. I mean, mm. he gave away the penalty. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that was shocking. But their second goal, Dunn has a lot to answer for. I think definitely. I think. Because if you watch it back, mm-hmm. he's just kind of jogging back, doesn't have a clue where Smith is. No. Should should be there to head that away. How is Smith winning a header? Mm-hmm. You know, no. five yards away. Yeah, against, I mean, I that, that, you know, that he didn't have a clue he was there. And that kind of, I watched that back, and obviously Baldwin shouldn't have let the cross in anyway. Yeah. They both had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. But that worried me when yeah. I watched that. Yeah. Yeah, that Paul Smith, as we say, he thrived on the, on the sort of nervousness of those mm-hmm. two. And I think that is. That's potentially where you might think it, it. It feels almost like bizarre that you're saying this, but like a figure like John O'Shea, given the fact that yes, he's 38, I wouldn't want him here now, mm. playing against you know anyone who. Is Kabul still a free agent? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was worried with the build up to the penalty. Yeah. Because that 50-50 mm-hmm. in the box. Uh, I mean, I could have won the ball even with, even with my, my broken specs. <laughs> uh, it, it, it was just powder puff stuff, it was and terrible. it looked after that. It looked as though his head had gone. Mm-hmm. It really did. Uh, well, and yeah. I, I did. I actually felt sorry for him in the end. Mm-hmm. It's such a typical thing for a Sunderland fan. Like people, you should never mention the stats of, oh, Ackerton haven't scored in six games. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, well, I mean, yeah. you know exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll going, give you a goal. Yeah, we do. We're going I'll, to I'll, give away a stupid penalty. Yeah. I will say it was a well-taken yeah. penalty, by the way. Was, I will say that. It, it was. It was. Yeah. I th- really don't know what to say. I think, as you say, Malcolm, it's. I, I did feel quite sorry for him as well. I think. I mean, he's not. How old's Baldwin? Twenty-four. I think, yeah, about that. He, he, I mean, then, he's he, relatively speaking, he's a young lad in mm-hmm. football. Do you think he's just given? Yeah, so we need a leader at the back because we don't really like, seem to have a leader. Yeah, perhaps because they were a bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. Weren't they? Yeah. We need someone kind of saying, "Oi, Luke, come in." Yeah, you know, 
Like, they were never in a line, No, as far as I could see. I think perhaps Glenn Leuven's would have been shortlisted as a viable option for that, but he's... That was probably the idea ...been less than good, yeah. yeah. I mean, I keep forgetting he's hurt. He's yeah. hurt, to be honest. No, he's he's still injured, isn't he? Or, yeah. or is he? Or is he just I don't know. is he just out the picture? I I, well, know. last time I checked, he was injured. But I mean, he's he's not had a particularly great run so far, has he? No. Really, Leuven's he's. Well, you're it, banging the Ozturk drum, aren't you? I I, I whoa, I, honestly, um, if if I I'm banging the Ozturk drum kit, like if if, if I, <laughs> I, I I've got the Symbols full thing, I'm, I'm crashing. Yeah, let, yeah. let's let, let's just jump straight into yeah. that. Ali Merzturk, do we think he is an option if these two were to continue to underperform? He's had a decent run in the, the checker trade so far. I mean, fair enough when we played against Man City's under-21s. Yeah. You're not playing the most prestigious team in the world no. now. You know, they, they, they are, but they you're are playing children. against Pace. You are, you're playing against Pace. And struggling against. He made an absolutely cracking tackle, a, sl- a slight tackle in the box. Yeah, Which I think, you know, you, you put that side by side with the one him and Baldwin made in the box. Obviously yeah. one gave away a penalty and one, yeah, was, yeah. one was pinpoint. You know, is there maybe a shout there if these two sort of I dip in be form? Against it. No, something's not working. So something needs to change. You know, maybe give it a try. You know. Yeah, he's uh, the, the the lad played well in some of the cup games. Yeah, but again, coming back to the earlier point, at some stage you've got to start playing a settled team. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, they talked about Ranieri being the tinker man. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. if this keeps on going, he, he, uh, old Russell will be getting a uh, a bit of a name of a tinker yeah. man as well. You know, you've got to try a settled side. and It must be a nightmare, you know, for a keeper to having uh, different players playing in front mm-hmm. of you every game. Uh, so I, I would stick with uh, uh, Baldwin and Flanagan myself. You would take that out? Yes, I would. Yeah? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think, as you say... I don't think... I, I can't see, other than some some maybe additional height, I can't see what he's brought to us so far. No? Well, uh, to be honest, really, I think that um, that, that physicality and the sort of his ability to read the game, for me, up until Stanley had been very good. But I, I think then there the could be a drawback of his inexperience. And as you say, mm. if you're rotating your back line and you've just got young lads replacing young lads and there's going to be, I think, a lot of nervousness when things start going wrong. Yeah, there's going to be a, a lot of a lot of ambiguity there, a lot of difficulty in communication. So, to be honest, Malcolm, you you you, you might be on you might be on the dot there. I think playing your, your more experienced players as your sort of like go to back to, you could see that consistency. You could build that synergy, and that could be maybe what you need to just sort of well, to if anything if anything just to reassure each other, especially when the, I mean the crowd is going to turn when you go one and down to Stanley on TV. So you you, 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 you might you might need that just 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 for their own ability to, to sort of console themselves and. You know, and get the heads back together when things go wrong. But um, one last point on the two games, just before we go into a, a, a more of an interview sort of format with uh, with Malcolm here, is the case with Grig and Wyke. Now, as we've said, we're not too worried, but the fact remains that Grig hasn't got going yet, and uh, I'm starting to fear, and I'm sure many others are, that Wyke is never going to mm. start getting going. And with Keziah Sterling being very much an unknown quantity, being just a being just a young lad from Spurs who's mm-hmm. never played professional football before, we, we, you really don't know what's going to happen there. So that makes you wonder, might it have been an idea to hold on to Andy Nelson? I mean, last I checked, he'd scored four in five for Dundee yeah. in all competitions with three of those coming from three games in the SPL. You know, three and three in the Scottish Premier League, given that we're a League One team, you might think that those two divisions could potentially be equivalent in quality. You might even argue the SPL slightly better, in my opinion. So given the fact that he's doing it there, could he could it have been an idea just to keep him here? Just for just for an option? Certainly wouldn't have hurt. No. But again we talked about it earlier, you know, we don't see what's on the what happens on the no. training ground. We don't know what happens behind mm. the scenes. Yeah. You know, I was kind of surprised to see him go because I thought the whole the new you know idea of of this ownership and stuff was to build these young players and then Use them, or and so you can sell them on and make a profit, and that was going to be part of the the business model, if you like. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised to see that happen. Having said that, hindsight is a wonderful thing. It is, yeah. We, yeah you know, there was a he could have gone there and not scored in ten, mm-hmm. and we'd have been like, Phew. yeah. I think well, when was there, uh, so when he went, there weren't really that many eyebrows raised on the whole. N- you know, no one was really saying that was you know shocking. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe a few that had seen him play. Mm-hmm. There must there must have been some reason why. Ross let him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't imagine the lad was on particularly high wages no. in terms of getting somebody off the wage mm. bill. No, the youth contracts are a pittance, if I remember mm-hmm. rightly. Mm. So, uh, as I say, there the, the must have been some reason. And uh, good luck to the lad; he's knocking goals in. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. I think. Can you yeah. do? It's like you know. it's 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 done now. You know, it might have been good to have him, but he might not have 
scored three and three here. Just you would never know. And he's like, well, he's gone now, so yeah, can't do anything about it. I'm excited. I want to see Sterling have a crack though. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think, he's, I think he's had a niggle, hasn't he? That's why he hasn't hasn't been playing. Yeah, but I'd like to see him in that if we're playing a front front four. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he's he's probably, I mean, I would hope he's just going to be fearless. I hope, hope he's just, go, just going to go for it. Yeah, I, I'd, I I'd like him to. kind of what we're missing as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's understandable to, if a player's playing badly, to obviously, Overthink you know, yeah, well, to, yeah. to be quite sort of negative towards them when they're on the pitch. But I would like to think that, you know, we as fans and him himself will see this opportunity for Sterling as having very little to lose. Yeah. Uh, I'd like him just to come on and just have a go and see how he gets on. I think if he if he... If worst case scenario, has an absolute shocker here, scores no goals. You know, it was a bad loan signing, but at the same time, I can't, I can't feel too negatively towards a young lad who's just trying to have a go. Yeah. So I'd like him to approach the whole situation and just think, you know what, I'm I'm here to try and get my professional career off the ground. You know, if if I get a few goals at Sunderland, that could see who knows where I could go from there. I'd I'd just like to see him have a go, really. Yeah. You know, well, he I, I think he, I think he, as a young kid, you should just let him have his chance without judgment. Well, I, I think, think the one thing is the crowd will have some sympathy with him. Yeah. Early on, uh, again, his problem will be if he comes on two or three games and uh, doesn't yeah. doesn't score. Mm-hmm. Then again, the frustration start. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAG, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at two percent permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better. Like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Let's move away from the current events. You've come today, basically, Malcolm, and you've agreed to share some of your stories from the days of your supporting the lads. So let's start with a pretty general question just to get the ball rolling. In all your years going to see the lads at Roker Park, what were your, your most outstanding memories? Well, I've got some great memories at Roker Park. I always wish that some of the younger fellas, you, you lot included here today, yeah. uh, could have experienced Roker Park in the 1960s particularly, mm-hmm. uh, long before uh, half the Roker, Park, Roker end got taken down because of safety issues. Mm. Uh, and it was, I know it's... You can always look back at something with maybe rose-tinted spectacles, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it was a magical place, Roker Park, particularly in the 60s, uh, particularly night games, and you'd have people coming straight from the pits, straight from uh, the shipyards, uh, not spending hours in the pub. Uh, a lot of people used to be in the ground well before kickoff. not like now. You know, you look at the the, uh, the stadium now, 10 minutes before the game, and it's it's, it's still half well, empty. Taken, yeah, it wasn't uh, the concourse. It used to be side. virtually full an hour before the game. Uh, you didn't have the situation where players warmed up. You know, that's a relatively new thing, that players come on for half an hour. So there was the build-up, the excitement of looking at the tunnel, waiting for the players to come out. Mm. Uh, you've got the peanut sellers who would walk around the side of the pitch uh, and people would shout from the back that they wanted the peanuts. Uh, <laughs> it was peanuts, tanner a bag. And this, the, the, the blokes used to throw these peanut bags with ex, like Exocet missiles and they always used to get to the person that, uh, that uh, had asked for them. Right. Um, and there's, there's a great clip on YouTube of a cup tie that we played against Everton. And it was during the winter. And, of course, during the winter, no no under-soil heating in those days. And uh, the straw used to have to go down on the pitch. And everybody mucked in. Uh, it was great to see everybody helping out with the, with the seats in the mm-hmm. close season. But supporters used to come and uh, help to put the straw out. And then on the day of the game, straw used to come back and uh, go, go on to the uh, edge of the pitch. And there's a great YouTube cl- clip... Of, uh, of scoring and the great bank of Roker Park and the Roker end surging forward and kids at the front getting bales of straw, bits of straw and throwing them up in the air. Uh, if anybody wants to see what the Roker Park crowd was really like, they, they want to look at that. Uh, YouTube, uh, V. Everton, 1964. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was a great... Uh, Great experience being able to watch football in those days. And before I started at the club as an office boy, uh, when I was uh, 13 or 14, uh, there was one big match that I think sort of summed up what Roker Park was like. We played Tottenham Hotspur uh, in the Cup, uh, 4th of March 1961. And in those days, Tottenham were the team. 
They've got some great players and they'd hardly lost a match in the first division up till then and they'd had a good cup run. So this was a great draw uh, for Sunderland playing the mighty mm. Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, and it was an all-ticket match. I was 14, just 14, and my dad let me and a friend uh, go and queue the night before so that we could virtually guarantee ourselves a ticket. So we're outside the, the old clock stand at four o'clock the day before they're selling tickets at 10 o'clock the next morning. And there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people. With the same idea. Same idea, <laughs> queuing overnight. Uh, wow. Great atmosphere, if you can imagine that. I mean, no sleeping bags, something like that. So absolutely fantastic uh, atmosphere. Uh, and then the game itself, uh, 61,000. Crikey. Uh, and Tottenham scored in the first half. And then we equalised in the second half. And there was a huge pitch invasion. Mm -hmm. And Danny Blanchflower, who was a famous player for Tottenham, uh, wrote in his autobiography that he'd played football all over the world in some of the biggest stadiums, and it was the biggest noise that he'd ever heard a crowd make. And he reckoned that had the pitch not been invaded by the crowd, Sunderland would probably have gone on and won that game. <laughs> uh, and as it happened, Tottenham won, and they went on to do the double, which I think was, at the time, was only the second time that it uh, it actually had been done in 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 that century. Right. Oh. So uh, that that was uh, mm -hmm. that was one of the great games. But at Roker Park, you had um, you know you had the, the the big floodlights. You didn't have the the floodlights on on the top of the stands that you, you have now. And when I joined the club as a fifteen year old office boy, uh, I think I was sixteen when George Crow, the secretary, said, uh, "Have you got a head for heights?" And I said, oh, yeah, no, no, not, not too bad. Why? He said, uh, well, the electrician is up one of the floodlight pylons at the Roker end, and there's a spare bulb come, and you're going to have to climb the floodlights and <laughs> take him up to him. So, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, being part of a football club, whether you're in the office or whether you're a player, is is all about mickey-taking. So I thought, this is, this is a wind-up. Um, and I said, are you, are you sure, Mr. Crow? Yeah, yeah, you get yourself up there. And I think what, I must be one of the few people, other than people like electricians, who actually climbed up to the top of one of the pylons <laughs> at the Roker end uh, and had this wonderful view of the empty stadium. And uh, I, I, I survived, but I must admit, going down, I froze mm. halfway down. Ooh. And uh, I thought, this is it, my end's come. So when, I, when you say you froze... I just, I just thought that's it. I can't, I can't go any further. Can't go any further. It's like you know, I, I used to do a bit of rock climbing, and uh, I gave that up because I froze. Yeah. When I got, when I got a bit older, uh, but I managed, uh, I managed to get to the bottom. Did you just get yeah. to like a certain point going down, and were you just like very aware of where yes. you were? Yeah. I think, I think the mistake I made, I looked down. I looked yeah. Down. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. And the other thing you had at uh, at Roker Park, which you don't have now, you'd got the old scoreboard. Mm -hmm. the old wooden scoreboard that was between the Roker end and the clock stand. And the only way that people knew what the half-time scores were, were they had to buy a programme. So you'd got, in the, in the back of the programme, you'd got A, B, C, D, E, and the, uh, the list of the players. And then one of my jobs was uh, through the Press Association, again, no mobile phones, computers in those days, I had to ring through to the Press Association at half-time and then ring through to the scoreboard with the half-time scores. So you'd, you'd say uh, A, one all, B, two all. And uh, talk about uh, tricks and all the rest of it. Charlie Hurley comes up to the office one day and he said, do you want to earn yourself a tenner? So uh, I said, yeah, tenner is a lot of money in those yeah. days. He said, right, uh, home match on Saturday. He said, what I want you to do, he said, I want you to ring through with the half-time scores, look for what, letter Newcastle are and say the letter D or E or whatever and ring through and tell them that Newcastle are losing 5-0 at half time <laughs> and I'll give you a tenner so I thought well, I'm, I'm going to do it just anything anything for a laugh so I get the scores I ring through uh, right we come to D uh, whoever they were playing uh, 5 Newcastle nil, and there was a massive roar went up from the crowd uh, and then, of course, a minute later, I had to ring through. Oh, I'm sorry, I've I've, I've misheard it. Uh, it's actually it's actually nil nil. So the the the, the, the let's get <laughs> what a random miss here. Yeah. Nil nil nil, 
and uh, easily happens. And, and then the, the the crowd starts booing. What I didn't realise was uh, Charlie came up on the Monday with the tenor, and uh, he said, "Well, thanks for doing that." He said, "I've made myself a few quid." I said, "I said, why is that?" He said, "Well, all the players had a bet." And whether you do it or not, he said, I've made myself about 200 quid. <laughs> Very well. Well, I'm giving you a tennis quite easy in that yeah, case. Yeah. Eh? No, no skin off his nose. Yeah. So no Roker Park great days. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the other big games was moving on a couple of years. Uh, coincidentally, was the 4th of March again in 1964. That was the year that we won promotion um, from the old second division. But we got drawn against Manchester United in the Cup. Uh, first round was at uh, Old Trafford, and we're winning three-one near the end. Uh, then big Charlie Hurley backheads the ball. Uh, Monty's come out, and it's three-two. And then Man United equalised right in the last minute. Mm. So we've got a replay on the Tuesday night. Now by this time I'm assistant secretary, and I had to sit in on some board meetings when George Crow, the secretary, Eddie Marshall uh, weren't available. And there'd been this discussion before the first match at Old Trafford about whether the game should be made all ticket or not. And the directors, you talk about finances in football these days, the directors decided they didn't think we'd got a chance at Old Trafford, so they weren't going to pay the money for the printers to print tickets to make it all ticket because they thought the tickets would be wasted. <laughs> so... Uh, we, we get the draw, the replay the following Tuesday, and the only tickets that were sold were for the seats. And in those days, there were only seats in the main stand. There weren't even seats in the clock stand. Uh, and that led to absolute chaos on the night. Oh, I bet. Absolute chaos. The thousands and thousands and thousands of people outside. Um, gates got broken down. Uh, sadly, uh, one person died, not not because of the gates being broken down. I think he'd had a heart attack or something. Right. Um, and so, again, we uh, we get to... It's to all um, at the end of the game. But, again, we lose out right in the last minute with Manchester United having an equaliser. And uh, the, the third replay, we lost, I think it was 5-0 or something like that at uh, Huddersfield. But the gripe from the players was that they were on uh, a bonus for uh, every crowd that was above 45,000. So they'd get so much for 46,000, so much for 47,000. Well, that was like a clause well, in, the, the, in the, the contract. That was a clause or? in the contract. Right. The, well. uh, the estimate that night was that there were 70,000 people in the ground. The official attendance was something like 46, 47,000. So the directors refused to play the crowd bonus because they they took the argument that the official gate through the turnstiles was that number. So uh, And the players went absolutely crazy. They never got their bonus. Yeah. Like a case of underestimating how sort of dedicated the Sunderland fans are to their tournaments, really, isn't it? Well, of course, in those days, the the cup was was the the big tournament. Yeah. The big tournament. Not, it's a big tournament now, still for lower clubs when they play bigger clubs. Mm -hmm. It's a big tournament once you get to the sixth round. But I think the third, fourth, and fifth round, even in those days, uh, the early rounds, the the, the 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 ground would be packed. Yeah. Absolutely packed. <laughs> um, so there, you know, there were two really good memories of of Roker Park. I and bet. as I said earlier, I, I I wish some of the younger people could have seen. Yeah. Roker Park in, uh, in its absolute mm -hmm. heyday. Uh, we're talking about the directors and uh, not printing tickets because they didn't want to pay the money. Uh, I wish Netflix had been around in the 60s <laughs> when, uh, when uh, they were going into board meetings and uh, the, the directors because I tell you what, it was, uh, it, it, it was just like a farce. Uh, and increasingly, I had, I had to go in and take the minutes and everything in the, at the board meetings. And one of the funny things, actually, you might think this is, uh, what, what, what am I talking about this, about football? Um, in those days, chicken was a luxury. And the only time we ever saw chicken was on Christmas Day. Well, the directors used to have their, their tea and sandwiches and cakes brought in before uh, the board, a board meeting. And uh, one of my key jobs, I had a few key jobs when I was an office boy, was to uh, take the plates from the kitchen and put them on the boardroom table. And there always used to be two plates of chicken sandwiches, very twee with, their, uh, with the uh, 
crust cut off. Mm-hmm. And I used to pinch about eight of the chicken sandwiches. Uh, and one day the, uh, the chairman, unfortunately, came in the kitchen well, I'd got a mouthful of chicken sandwich. Uh, so that was the last time I ever saw a chicken sandwich. Right. Uh, but one of my other key jobs was I had to make sure that the cigarette and the cigar boxes were full. So we'll be tired. I had to order the cigars and the cigarettes and uh, I had to put them on the boardroom table and uh, we'll be tired if there wasn't enough cigars and cigarettes for the directors. Mm. They were more interested in smoking the cigars and cigarettes than they were talking about business. Uh, but the other funny thing was the directors used to try and pick the team you know you should have Alan Brown the manager and they're all there with us um, puffing their cigars away and saying well uh, Mr Brown I think you should play Charlie Hurley at centre forward and another director would say well I think you should do this and I think you should do that and uh, Alan Brown used to just let him get on with it and at the end of the day, he would say, look, you carry on smoking your cigars. Uh, I'm the one who picks the team. Uh, you, you don't know a thing about football. But that was directors in those days. I think that was quite common in some ways. I can remember that uh, the England team, uh, there used to be a committee. And it was the committee who selected the, the England squad and they selected the team, not the manager. Yeah. Mm. Strange days they were. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see um, uh, Martin Bain do something like that now. I wonder yeah. how that would go down. <laughs> I love the idea of directors up there in that ivory towers with yeah. their chicken sandwiches. <laughs> oh, yeah. Aye. Aye. Well, it's just a sign of the times, I suppose. You yes. know, I mean, what, what, what you're seeing there, you see on the shelf in the Sainsbury's meal deal now, don't you? It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. crazy house. Every of, time yeah. I buy a chicken sandwich, I'm yeah. like... Anyway, in the interests of time, I'd say got about 10 minutes left one thing I'd like to talk about as well, and we're sort of like, we're sort of skirted around this, but yeah, Roker Park, heyday, was one man who we had as a player, who would later we would infamously turn down when he applied for that role of manager, and no prizes for guessing who I'm talking about, but I'll go to you, Johnny. Guess. Who Clough. do I mean? Clough. Obviously, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Brian Clough. Well, I was fortunate or otherwise to, when I got the job as secretary at Derby County, to work with Brian for virtually every day for three seasons. Right. Um, I knew him well as a player uh, when he was at Sunderland, mm-hmm. so that's how I... Uh, uh, I think that's how I got the job, really, at Derby. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the biggest Jekyll and Hyde figure that I think I'd ever met in my life. Oh, I bet. Uh, you never knew from one day to the next what sort of mood he would be in. No. Um, but he had simple messages for, for players. Um, I remember one day uh, I'm in the tunnel and the match has just finished. Players are coming off, coming up the tunnel, and he took one player to one side and... Uh, Young man, he called everybody young man. Young man, where are your spectacles? And uh, he said, I don't wear glasses, boss. He said, well, you you effing should after that performance. And he said, don't come into training tomorrow. And he said, oh, oh, thank you, boss. As though he was being uh, given some time off. He said, "Uh, I want you to get yourself into town. And I said, I want you to buy two things. Oh, yes, boss, what's that? He said, "Uh, I want you to buy a dog and I want you to buy a white stick. He said, because that performance out there, he said, there's two posts at the end of the ground. And he said, do you know what you're supposed to do? He said, you're supposed to put the ball in between the two posts <laughs> and not keep kicking the ball over the stands. Um, uh, yeah, he was a real enigma. And in those days, you know, nowadays you've got so many people involved signing players. Yeah. You've got, uh, you've got your scouts, you've got your, your directors of football and all the rest of it. And nothing like that in those days. No. And it was basically um, the secretary and the manager mm-hmm. who were involved with all the ne- negotiations, mm-hmm. no agents. And uh, one day, Peter Taylor, who was Clough's assistant, uh, we needed somebody. We talked earlier on about wanting some presence in a side. Uh, he said, we've got to have some presence in our side. He said, uh, we should sign Dave Mackay. I mean, I've only ever read about that in uh, The Damned United, but then there was, a very, there was a very big saga around the signing of Dave Mackay. Yeah, well, Dave, Dave Mackay was, a, was a, uh, what is now a midfield player, but was called a wing half in mm. those days for Tottenham. Yeah. And he was coming to the end of his career. 33, wasn't he? 33, 34. Yeah. And Peter Taylor said, I'll tell you what, if we could sign Dave Mackay, we'll guarantee promotion. And Cluffy's thinking, oh, we've got we've got absolutely no chance, but we'll we'll try it. 
So me and him, we jump in a car about two days later without any notification to Tottenham or anything else and go down and go into White Hart Lane and ask to see Bill Nicholson, the manager. And uh, we're told that he's in a meeting. And so we, we sat outside for about half an hour. Eventually we go in and he greets Brian and said, what are you here for? He said, I want to sign Dave Mackay. He said, you what? <laughs> he said, he's, he's done, he's finished. He said, no, I want to sign him. He said, well, he's been offered the either the manager or the assistant manager's job at Hearts. So he said, oh, you've got you've got no chance, but I'll, I'll sell him if, if, if you want him, but I don't think he'll sign for you. So he told us where Dave Mackay lived somewhere in Essex and we troop off to Essex again no warning no mobile phones nothing just knocked on the door and of course Cluffy's a well known figure yeah. so Dave Mackay answers the door and uh, you know it's a big broad Scottish accent what are you doing here he said I've come to sign you he said what do you mean he said I've come to sign you for Derby County uh, he said oh he said I'm done he said I can't run he said I'm not bothered whether you can run or not he said I need your experience and you can stroll around in front of the back four he said We'll get promotion. And we sat for four hours, which is a long time. And he basically sold Derby County to him. Mm -hmm. And he wore, he wore Dave Mackay down <laughs> to the extent that in the end he just said, oh, just give me a contract and I'll sign it. <laughs> and that was the best signing that uh, Brian Clough ever made. He, he, al he always said that. He won Player uh, of the Year, didn't he, Dave Mackay, that season? Player of the Year. Some, the, the, um, the equivalent of whatever that was back then. Yeah. Uh, and he was a great character. And I lived uh, for six months before I uh, moved into a house when I, when I went to Derby. I moved into the uh, Midland Hotel. Dave Mackay was there for about four months. And uh, we used to have dinner most nights. Uh, and then we used to go into the television lounge. Again, no televisions in bedrooms. No. And we used to sit and watch Coronation Street. <laughs> uh, Class. And uh, just, just talk about football. Brilliant. Uh, great Amazing. character he was. Yeah. Well, one last question for you, Malcolm, as well. And it's one that I'd be remiss if I missed. And that is, I have to ask, what's this about playing a match against the Buckingham Palace household staff? It's something I've only heard on the grapevine, but I'd like if you could maybe inform me and our listeners of what exactly that is, because it sounds like a very good story. Well, when I, when I left uh, Derby, I went to Gillingham as secretary, where Len Ashurst, uh, the old Sunderland fullback, uh, was manager there. And... I've mentioned already about the mickey-taking that goes on in football clubs, and I'd only been there about uh, six months when uh, the phone rang and a fellow at the other end said, it's Bill Lowe here, uh, I'm ringing him from Buckingham Palace. So I thought, ah, oh, this, is, this is one of the players ringing me from a phone box. Um, so uh, I didn't believe him at first, and he said, I'm the chairman of the Royal Household football team. And I'm a big Gillingham fan, and I'd like to invite Gillingham to come up and play a match against the household staff and come back to Buckingham Palace and have tea. So we eventually realised that this fellow was, uh, was genuine. So uh, on the day, we go up to, uh, we go up to London. Uh, there's a football pitch near to Buckingham Palace. Uh, play the game, uh, and there's butlers and house staff and all sorts of people playing for, for the household staff. Uh, and we go back and we think that we're, we're in the team coach. We think we're probably going to go through some back entrance and uh, we drive through the main gates of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> then we go around the back uh, and we're getting uh, shown into the household part of the, the palace where there's a big tea laid out. Uh, and I think there was one of the royals there, but uh, I can't remember who it was, and it certainly wasn't one of the uh, one of the main royals. But what was quite interesting was even in those days, the security that uh, had to go on before we even oh. uh, got got to the game. I can imagine. And uh, there was letters going backwards and forwards between me and this below uh, about you can do this and you can't do that and you can't have cameras. Uh, but uh, you know, it was a, a great experience, and we were the first league team ever to have played uh, the Royal Household staff at, uh, at Buckingham Palace. Wow. So there's a big thing, obviously, in the yeah. local press and everything else. It's a shame we can't see the highlights anywhere then. Yes, yeah. Nothing will match the day about that, I don't mm. imagine. No, I shouldn't think so. <laughs> and I've still, got the, uh, I've still got the Royal Household tie and the yeah. badge that we all got, uh, we got in, me, in my scrapbook that we all yeah. got presented with. So uh, that, was, that was a good, 
Good memory, that one. What was the score? Yeah. Uh, the score was something like uh, 17-1 to us. We <laughs> <laughs> conceded one. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't, maybe shouldn't be um, uh, amazingly surprised, given that that was a professional football team <laughs> against how, the house staff of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> but anyway, so just to round this all off, I'd like us to take a lineup and score prediction from each of our members here. We'll go around the table. We'll start with you, Josh. What mm-hmm. team would you want? What team do you think, sorry, Ross will field against Gillingham, and what will the score be? What do I think he'll field? That's always different. I think. Okay, that, actually, you know, we'll rephrase it. Yeah. What team would you want? Okay, I'd want Maguire to start. Yep. For Wyke, I'd see. I think Honeyman had a good game, but I'd bring him out for McGeoch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd have McGeoch and Ledbetter as a yeah. two in front of the four. I'd probably bring Flanagan back mm-hmm. as well. Flanagan and Baldwin. Um, and then oh nine right back, James left back. Mm-hmm. I'd have Grig, Maguire, McGeady, and I probably would play Gooch because I'm not sold on Morgan yet either. If no, I'm honest. not yet. No, not yet. Not yet. It's got need, time. Need to do a bit more for me. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think that's my eleven, and obviously McLaughlin and goal. Yeah. Um, I can't really argue that. I'd probably go for the same team. To be honest, four two. Three, three one, one is what yeah. I want, yeah. yeah. And what would your what's your score prediction score, gonna be? Sorry. Irrespective of whether your team is Ross's team, what do you think the score's gonna be? Two one. Two one to us? Two one yeah, to us. I'm the super six two one, so it has to be two one for that. <laughs> <laughs> what well, about you, Malcolm? I used to be secretary of Gillingham. I've got no soft spot for them whatsoever. So uh, <laughs> I'd like to think that we kept a clean sheet. Yeah. So I'm going for four nil. Tremendous. Let's go for okay. it. I like Come that. On. Well, I myself think, I mean, obviously McLaughlin in goal, mm-hmm. I would have, I think, in the heart of defence, I would personally persist with Dunn and Baldwin, right. in spite of how poor they were. I think I'd like to maybe give them the faith to have a go again. Um, I'd have James, obviously, at left-back. Oviedo, if he was fit, would come in for me. Still set a lot of store by the wee Costa Rican, but yeah. hey-ho. Um, I'd have Matthews, other side. Would you? Yep. Nice. Um, uh, my, my sort of like holding two, I, I, I'd agree with you, Josh. I'd take out Honeyman. Yeah. Necessary evil for yeah. Dylan McGeoch alongside um, uh, Grant Ledbitter in the hole. You got Maguire. It has to start. I think that's that's um, uh, that's as clear as anything else. You know, the sky's blue, the grass is green. Maguire has to start based <laughs> on his last performance. And I think your wide men. I would have McGeady and Morgan. I personally have a lot of faith in. Fair no nine. Saying. No nine. No again. Necessary evils. I think that's how I'd do it. And up front, I'd have, I'd have Will Grigg. Mm. And I think, like I said, off off the bench, I'd like Watmore and Gooch to come on mm-hmm. to maybe do that, like like I said before, maybe to bombard the team late on in the mm-hmm. 70, 75th minute. Yeah. And with just, you know, with just some, some very, like, very energetic, very aggressive sort of wide players who can function well as an inside forward if they need to. And I think you've got players like Charlie White on the bench, you know, if you need physicality with an asterisk when he comes on, you know, uh, uh, as is so often the case. But... You know, the football's it's all about opinions, isn't it? It is, it is. It's, it's, it a, it's so, a game of opinions. It's so cliche. boring yeah. if we all agreed about every single player, oh, yeah. every yeah. single if, formation. If we all reeled off the we same team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, actually, I actually think there's probably one player in our squad that most people would ab- agree about, about being a decent buy and a decent player, and that's the keeper. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. else, we've probably got such varying opinions about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that, that's part of football. Yeah. Yep. The debate, the discussion. Yeah. That that's what football is. It's a game of opinions, save for the outstanding players mm-hmm. who just get the the you know the whole the whole unanimous vote. John McLaughlin this season's been tremendous. The big the big sort of divide is I've I don't remember the last time I saw someone have this much divided opinion. But Honeyman mm-hmm. is a player that either people think are great or they absolutely kind of stand him. Yeah. And it's very strange. I've never very polarizing opinions. That, that up. I think I'm one of the few in the middle. I mean, he was also one of those people, Josh, who is like okay with Marmite. No, don't like no. Marmite. Oh, right. no, 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 no. Yeah. no, I'm not that weird. No, oh, well, <laughs> no. That, that would be, that would be, I think, a bit more controversial. <laughs> yeah. Hey ho. Anyway, so I would say, to be honest, for my score predictions, we've got a 2 1. Yeah. We've got a 2 1 and a 4 0. I'm going to say 3 1. I think I think we'll let a goal in. I think at some point yeah, we, we might so. we might let a goal in early on, and then I think we'll come back and we'll win three one because I think we've got take it. we've got that resilience and that belief that we can come back from from our shortcomings. But regardless of how the goals transpire, I think we're going to win three one, and we're going to do it fairly comfortably. So yeah, thank you very much for tuning in to the Roker Report podcast, and if you've listened right to the end, thank you for tolerating me <laughs> on my first ever appearance as the uh, as the the guy who sat here. 
which is no point of reference because this is an audio-based platform, not a visual one. <laughs> I got it. I yeah, you, it. you got it. Yeah, yeah well, basically, yeah. Well, I, I'm sat in a seat which is different from the other side of the panel because I'm hosting. He's so, the, yeah. the, de- the debut of Alex as the host. Yeah, yeah, that, yes. that's that what was I'm doing. A better way to say it. Yes. That, that was a better way of saying it, and, and it totally escaped me. But yeah, anyway, thank you very much, Malcolm, for coming on and um, uh, giving us some fantastic stories again. It's always a pleasure. And thank you, Josh and Johnny, for... For your um, uh, contribution, contributions, yeah. Yeah, for your, for your <laughs> two stories. stories. No, <laughs> no, stories. Yeah. No, yeah. No, you're very welcome. Yeah, well, there you go. So, yeah, Pleasure thank you very always. much. Yep, thank you very much, and good night. Some exchange betting companies run short-lived promotions, like months-long offers of low commission. At BetDAC, we wanted to change the way we did things, so we set our commission at 2% permanently. That's 2% on football, horse racing, golf, almost any sport. 2%. That's just one way that BetDAC is changing for the better. For the better, like you. BetDAC, the 2% commission exchange. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.